0: What's up everybody welcome to the pick six podcast cbs sports daily nfl podcast this is wednesday show which means it's a pal 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 brady quinn football show will brinson here host of the daily nfl podcast brady With us in Fort Lauderdale, Ryan Wilson, of course.
1: Happy 2020, man. I'm not sure how long you can actually say that or use that. Like, is there a statute of limitations on that? Like, how when should you stop saying Happy New Year to people? I think the 10th. So I think you're good. This is January 8th. Why the 10th? Uh, You know
0: what? I, I said, we talked about this on a previous show. Like, I don't mind. So, like, you know, we
1: do this podcast for an hour a week every Tuesday. Every, well, this podcast, but the pick six podcast is daily, even double daily. There's emergency pods, which right. I'll take attention with later.
0: Well, we can talk about that in a minute. My point being is that if you work closely with somebody, like I feel like we all work closely together, you spend an hour talking to each other over Skype and hang out in person, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like if you don't see that person until the 15th, no problem with a happy new year. You know what I mean? Like if you have to be out of the office, you're on vacation, you're in Cabo
1: and you want to, you want to stretch it that far, that's fine. I personally prefer the week of the new year. Can I go a step further? And I'd love to get Ryan away on this because I think a week's good. If you don't talk to someone like in 15 days, like two weeks, uh, that's probably not a great relationship. And so <laughs> if you even say happy new year to that person, you probably don't really mean it. Ryan, do you agree?
2: Yeah, and I feel like even if you do know that person, you see them frequently and you just forgot to say it, by the 15th, it's a wrap. Like I'm going to be out of town for two weeks. If I happen to be out of town from the 1st until the 15th, the first thing I say when I get home, is not going to be Happy New Year. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> you, got, you got four to seven days. Say Happy New Year or don't. We know it's 2020. Uh Yeah, let's move on.
0: Okay, but just to be clear, Brady's the one who said Happy New Year on the 7th. Because is my
1: first time. It's my first time coming back on the show since you put me in exile after, I don't know what we were talking about the last time, Brinson suck, sucks hats or something. I, I can't remember. Brady
0: gets it. Uh,
2: he fired.
1: And
0: nobody had gotten fired the last time we talked. Well, what happened was, so this year was, this year was pleasant in terms of NFL scheduling around the holidays. For instance, last year, I believe Brady and I had to spend New Year, Christmas Eve talking to each other about the Broncos and the Raiders. Um, and some of us still worked Christmas Day. I came in and did some stuff. So right. That's what I'm saying. Like this, this year, Christmas Day and Christmas Eve were in the middle of the week. So were New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So it's like we, it, that's, that's how you end up. They were both on Tuesdays, I believe. So that's how we ended up not doing the show, the Brady Quinn football show for two straight weeks. So I, I, would I, even I still work
1: though, Will. That's what I'm trying to tell you is I still worked those days. You might have got and, them off. I still
0: worked. And what I'm telling you is we still had podcasts. They just didn't make you do this
1: podcast. Right. Which I would have. I'm just telling you, I would have done them, but I don't know. we were told you, we were told you refused to. That's what we no, were no, no, That is Pete Prisco. Who, <laughs> mark my words, okay? He will not work any New Year's Day. He needs his New Year's Day. He must have his New Year's Day. Even if Jason Garrett got fired on New Year's Day, he was not coming into work. I sat there with my own eyes and ears and listened to him bitch and complain about that forever. So that that guy does not like working on New Year's Day. See, you'd think it would be New Year's
0: Day, but it's not really New Year's Day because he didn't work. Uh, we were recording this on Tuesday, January 7th. Two coaches got hired on January 7th. He didn't work January 7th either. He kept texting uh, producers and people. He's like, I'm at the eye doctor. hes something wrong with my eye. I'm working too hard. My eye hurts. He worked
1: today. He worked today. I was in there with him. Believe me, We, oh, we argued, and, and then we shot holes in Ryan Wilson's <laughs> mock draft, even though he's done everything to actually satisfy Pete and I on what we've requested for the past five mock drafts. Mm. Shame. Yeah, my Shame. first half
2: show with Brady and Pete, and they spent 25 minutes dunking on me. So that's that's where I'm at.
0: <laughs> well, welcome to welcome to life working with Brady and Pete. Um, we will get to your mock draft after the break. We also talk about to uh, a to a T, There we go. That was now good. That was pro. good. Now that pro I got to get this thing down. Uh, we'll talk about that. We will talk about some coaching hires as well. A um, lot of stuff to talk about in the NFL. The Taysom Hill trend. We'll get to that. But first. We have to get, I, I've been talking about this when I do, I did a couple of radio appearances and be the, or like, since, since Sunday night, I guess people are like, Hey, like, yeah, tell us what's going on with the podcast. I'm like, well, we're about to have the best 10 to 15 minutes of the podcast all year because I'm going to get Brady Quinn on the phone and we're going to find out what he thinks about Mike McCarthy sleeping over at Jerry Jones's house before sealing the deal in Dallas. Cause like, this is your wheelhouse, man. I got yeah. questions. I got yeah. lots of questions about this was okay. I mean, I'm just going to throw some stuff out and then I'm going to let you run with it. And Ryan, feel free to jump in and run with it as well. But like, do you, was this planned out ahead of time? Are you like, Hey Mike, why don't you come to Dallas and spend the night at our house, Um, you know, do you go out for tacos and like, night or like a steak with chihuahua cheese at javier's do you have somebody cook in the house are you up until 2 a.m like slamming johnny walker blue and talking telling like football tales do you what do you do in the morning because you can't sleep in you can't be like woke like hey uh mike's still asleep it's like 9 a.m like are you up at 4 a.m like in the kitchen grinding on tape like oh jerry sorry i didn't what are you doing here oh i'm so shocked i just get up early looking at some tape do you do you sleep in your normal gear do you do you bring pjs I got, i got so many questions so i'm curious your thoughts here
1: yeah, no, yeah. I I don't really think anyone knows exactly how a, a sleepover like this plays itself out, um, be, because you don't go into it with a plan. You know, you just got to roll with the punches, and maybe that's part of the interview process for Jerry Jones, right? Like him him having candidates sleep over at his house, and if he likes them enough. He ends up making them the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys like I always wonder like okay at some point where there's like pillow talk where they kind of lay in there like <laughs> so like what do you what do you think you're gonna do with Dak and Jerry's like well I'm gonna extend them he's like okay yeah all right I'm just trying to figure out like who my quarterback's gonna be for a while and then Jerry's like well yeah he's gonna be your quarterback for a while and we've got to figure out like Amari Cooper and, and Byron Jones like what do you think about those guys and then you know Mike's like well I, I like those guys you know like I think Byron didn't have as good of a year this year, but he's definitely a staple on defense. And you know, Amari Cooper. I don't know. You know, maybe we could figure out someone in the draft. But you know, we, we've got to have a number one. He's our number one. He's been really productive with Dak. And you know, so maybe there's some pillow talk. Uh, I would think. You know, given Mike McCarthy, like knowing who he is, they definitely had to slam some beers at some point. Yeah. Uh Was there tacos involved? I don't know, but definitely a private chef. Look, if you're Jerry Jones and you're a baller, there is no way, no way. You are letting some cook who works at a restaurant like touch anything that you eat. Like anyone who touches the food you eat, you're probably having them taste it to make sure it's not poisonous or not going to kill you or it's not going to, you know, there's not food poisoning or it's undercooked. That's the first thing. And then the next thing is, is like they're probably living at your chateau too. Like we're playing on this scenario that like Mike and Jerry are hanging out. There's a chance that like Mike was somewhere in the like west wing of this gigantic monstrosity sure. that Jerry Jones lives in, and has to take a golf cart just to get back over to actually hang out with Jerry on the other side of the entire compound. So, uh, those are probably staples along the whole thing. I also think that part of being the you know being able to be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, since you're in the state of Texas, you're most likely going to have to get hammered and ride a mechanical bull. Uh, and so that most likely took place at some point in time uh, at the Chateau of Jerry Jones or Compound, whichever you want to call it. Uh, and then there may even be given. You're in Texas. There may even be like a predator hunt at night. So you go out there with like the night vision or like the thermal scopes on the guns just to be able to prove that you've got that killer instinct told old Jerry. All those things, I think, took place that night. And you're right. Uh, you really can't say like sleeping in because I don't think you sleep at all. I think you're just staying up the whole night hanging out with Jared Jones. Okay. So what if it was like, he's actually got Jason Garrett in like the backyard
0: and he hands you a rifle. And like you, ha- he's like, I'm, I'm afraid Mike, I need you to pull this trigger. And you're like, what, seriously. And he's like, Mike, I can't hire you and give you a hundred million dollars unless you pull the trigger and you pull the trigger. He's like, it's full of blanks, but it was a test and you have passed. Uh, Ryan, you, you loathe encounters with other humans, awkward situations, um, uh. if you were, if you were Mike McCarthy, would you like, I guess what I'm wondering is, did, do you think that Mike McCarthy knew he was spending the night when he got on the plane to fly to Dallas? Or do you think like, was the contract done when, or did they bang out the contract? And then Jerry's like, what a great time. Let's let's, we, we got this deal done. Let's just hang out and stay here. And you're like, okay, sure. I'll just like, do you have extra clothes? Like, I don't know. There's a, there's a whole lot of mechanics here that, that, that terrify me.
2: Terrifyingly, my first thought would be, okay, taking a lot of emodium, no poops, because if I poop in that house and talk, clog up the toilet, we got a whole big issue going on here. So, you know, meanwhile, Jason Garrett's in the other wing doing upper deckers, so who knows? It evens out, I suppose. <laughs> who? Well, yeah, who was so that your first— who was like the, the, I don't know if it was a prime
1: minister or leader of a country. It was it Kim Jong-un who brings his own toilet and his own porta john with him when he travels <laughs> out of North Korea? Maybe it was like one of those situations where it's like, ah, no, we've got a portalette for you outside. <laughs> you bring your own accommodations for that.
2: Why are you in the woods? Don't worry about it. I'll be right back. Uh, well, yes, like,
1: uh, oh, go ahead.
2: No, no, I was going to say that. And, um, it is a weird situation. Um, I got some bad news for you guys though. I don't know if you want to hear it. Todd Archer of ESPN wrote uh, today, I think, in ESPN uh, on um, on Tuesday, that let's see here. Michael McCarthy stayed at Frisco's Omni Hotel. He did not stay at Jerry's house. So that's sort of doo the whole story we're telling. What do you got there?
1: That yeah, he had a room there. That's not where he right? stayed. If you right. know what I mean.
0: No, see, I said that's what I said. I said what what probably happened is. They fly Mike McCarthy into Dallas, or fly him into Frisco, whatever it is. You fly him in there, and you're like, Mike, hey, listen, bring your suit. You fly him into Dallas, you're like, bring your suitcase. You're packing in. We're gonna show you around the star. We're gonna do some interviews. Let you meet with Will McClay. Let you meet with Steven, Meet with me. You know, so I'm not doing a good job. You gonna stay here in the Frisco, man? The stars. We got this nice hotel.
1: Attached. We got steak. They're gonna kill it. They're gonna butcher it right yeah. there in front of you. Then they'll throw it on yeah. the grill and cook it.
0: So that's my theory: is that it went so well, and like they were like, this is gonna happen. Why don't you come back to my house? We'll make an, an awesome dinner. You can crash there. You don't have to stay here at the thing. You're part of the family now. Come stay at the Jerry Jones compound. Like, the deal had to be signed to make this done. Now, what gets awkward is if you get back there and Pillow Jerry, talk. no, but, but then Jerry's like, you're like, yeah, like, where am I? Am I staying in the guest room? Or like, he's like, no, come with us. And, like, he has, like, an inflatable mattress in the corner of it. Like, like there's a dog bed and then an inflatable mattress. Or bunk beds. Or bunk beds for you, but, like, in his bedroom. It's like you have to sleep at the foot of his
2: bed on an inflatable mattress. That's where it gets really awkward. So Todd Archer did write, uh, before anybody noticed, his interview had lasted well past midnight, which could lead one to believe that he ain't driving to the hotel at sure. 1 a.m. to go sleep in the bed, although Archer actually says that. And the way you guys are describing this, and this is going to sound, I have a penchant of leaning towards, uh, like, dark. It sounds like the movie Get Out, where, like, all right, come to our fantastic house. You'll have a fun time. Don't worry about it. Oh, don't worry about that trap door. Uh, th- don't worry how this ends. Down there in the trap door, of course, is uh, Jason Garrett trying to escape. But uh, that, <laughs> I think that's... Chan Gailey and
0: Jason Garrett, like, par- nobody's seen Parcells in years. Where what about Campo? Where's Campo? Camp-
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's actually at USC right now.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Chan Gailey's in Miami, too, so it's not. not...
1: Okay. Well.
0: Where's Jason Garrett? Let's move on. Nobody's seen Jason Garrett. We'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so Matt Rule hired by the Panthers, by Carolina Panthers. Um, yeah, how do you feel about that? I like it. I like it. I I be you know i well, you know what? we were going to ask what to do with the Browns and the trend of these hires, but I am curious what you think about um, Matt Rule because you're you you have done a
1: lot of Big Twelve games, right? Yeah, ironically, I've never done one with Matt Rule. Now, I've obviously come to know him in passing and just some different things where we've run into each other. Uh studied a lot of his film from opponents who had played him that I was preparing for. Um, look, he he's a great coach, a great leader of men. He develops young men. And, and you could see that at Temple. You could see that at Baylor. Um, the difficulty is in the NFL is, to some degree, you're kind of required to do that, but – you know, really, it's it's more about scheme. It's more about you know how you find edges within the talent that you have because most teams have a lot of talent, whether they're household names or not in the NFL. Uh, one thing that stood out to me though, especially when you watched it at Baylor this past year, was they were a very sound football team. And this wasn't a team that necessarily could recruit either at Baylor or even at Temple with the likes of some of the top you know uh, teams within that conference. And so they had to play sound football. It couldn't be penalized much. They couldn't turn the football over. They had to play very, very tough, stingy defense, and they did all of those things. So, I think his experience with that and giving his past NFL uh, coaching experience, he understands what it takes, and I think he could make that happen at, at every level. It just is going to take time, and I think that's what you see that David Tepper did. He gave him a seven year, sixty two and a half million dollar contract, up to seventy million with incentives, um, for what I've seen recently. Okay, so you, in other words. I mean, this is a
0: perfectly fair take on it, and I think this is what everybody should have a take on. It's like, you like to hire. He fits the bill for what the Panthers need, but you don't actually know if he can, if it's going to work out because, you know what,
1: we never know if coaches are going to work out. There's never a guarantee a coach is going to work out. No, I mean, what do you think Nick Saban would have worked out? I mean, I, I would have thought that. I would have thought when he went to the Dolphins, you know, things would have went right. Obviously, they didn't. A lot of things went wrong. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of times you kind of look at a situation and think, well, this is going to work. This is going to make sense. Uh, and it just doesn't work out the way you anticipate. You know, I, I I think Josh McDaniels is always a, you know, top candidate because people look at his offense and say, wow, he could call plays. He can find production. He gets the most wherever he goes. But for whatever reason, it didn't work, you know, during his time there at Denver. And you know he's been selective with what he wants to do next because I think he you know he realizes you only get a couple shots at it in the NFL. You know after the second time you're, you're very very lucky or fortunate if you get a third. So um, you know I, I think it's it's tough to be able to predict because there's so many variables. I mean look at if you're a head coach in Cleveland, which they don't have their head coach, but whatever Jimmy and D Haslem are selling you right now, a year later they could be telling you something else. I mean we saw that in 2013, we saw that last year with with Freddie Kitchens. Um, and so it, a lot of things can change. A lot of things can impact um, you know your ability to be able to actually win football games and be successful.
2: Brady, let me ask you this, sort of talking about all the coaches. I like Matt Rule from the outside looking in. And actually on paper, I like Joe Judge from the outside looking in, knowing nothing about him. And here's why. I feel like they have the ability to be CEOs, and I think we've seen in recent years, maybe even longer than that, that you need to be more of a CEO than an X's and O's guru as an offensive or defensive coordinator in order, in order to have success as a head coach, how do you feel about that? Is it more important to be able to manage people and delegate that authority to your assistants, or do you have to be Andy Reid and know every single thing that's going on offensively, for example, in order for your team to be successful?
1: I think it depends on what your comfort zone is. Um, now, Andy Reid's done it long enough where this is his second stint uh, as a head coach, and so I think he's got a good handle on not only calling plays, and he has help with Eric Biennemi um, and, and the other the other people in their staff, but I think the other thing is, is, he's got experience being able to manage it all. If if that was your first time, you know, taking on a head coaching job, like Allah Asha McVay, where you're calling plays and trying to be head coach, that's a daunting task. But if you looked at his staff between Fossil and then Phillips, even though now he's not with the uh, organization any longer, he had guys who were experienced that they could control, you know, that phase or that particular uh, part of the team. So, you know, for, for as far as you know, what makes the most sense. I tend to always lean on like the best head coaches end up being the ones that just manage people and lead and they understand how to kind of, you know, handle all of that, that comes with it. Um, I tend to think those guys end up having more sustained success and they do a better job of building a culture. I know we talk about that a ton, but, um, if you, if you're always focused on scheme and your personnel, putting them in certain spots and your opponent, you know, you're never really concerned with, you know, what is happening with some of the young men and, and what's going on within your team in all three phases. And sometimes you can let some things slip or you can be ignorant to some things because you didn't have that vantage point. I think him stepping into the role that he's going to be stepping into as head coach and not necessarily focusing on too much on one side or the other, he can have that bird's eye view and be able to see things maybe before they even develop and stop them and correct them or get them the way he wants. So that, that, that's one thing that I think Matt Rule has in his favor, as does uh, Joe Judge, who obviously is going to have to, you know, hire an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, cause that's just not his background. Um, even though he has coached on both sides of the football. Um, but you know, I look, I like the hire and I think more teams should look at special teams, uh, coordinators as candidates because they, if you think about their job, what it entails, you touch both sides of the team as far as offense and defense and on top of it. Your, your job is really predicated on situational football and situational awareness. How oftentimes do we hammer head coaches for not, handling end-of-game situations very well or managing the clock or those scenarios. If you're a special teams coordinator, that's essentially part of your job, one of the key components, being able to talk to the entire team, knowing what each side is really dealing with, but then also understanding the situation. So Joe Judge makes a lot of sense. Even though he's not very well-known, he came highly recommended by Bill Belichick. Uh, And obviously he was a young coach who Bill Belichick delegated that task to, which is very seldom you ever see in New England. And then finally, he knocked it out of the park in his interviews with the New York Giants front office. I spoke to a couple people that I know there. They were extremely impressed by him, so much so, which is one of the reasons why, even though Carolina got the jump on Matt Rule, I don't think the Giants were that upset considering the way Joe Judge handled things. And then also the fact that Matt Rule kind of rubbed them the wrong way, wanting to take a vacation after the bowl game, not wanting to come immediately to, to interview with them and talk with them about the job more. Really? Yeah.
0: That bugged him? I mean I I get I understand why that would kind of bug them but Well, that's supposedly because-
1: your dream job wouldn't you think that after that game's done with you know maybe you then take a couple days off not almost a week to go to Mexico and, and, and or you continue the conversations? I mean I mean
0: we've got a vacation planned like at some point after the season and if I bump it back for
1: work-related purposes, my wife is going to stab me in the face. So, I mean, maybe there's something that... I don't know. Like, I'll put it this way. Jason Garrett was basically a dead man walking. He knew he was going to get fired. He still hung around and was politicking to try to keep that job because he didn't want to have to potentially go somewhere else to coach. So, obviously, that in a way is an example of it being Jason's dream job that he didn't want to leave. And you've got a guy who supposedly has his dream job lined up and the Giants maybe wanting to to commit to him, maybe not to this extent of David uh, Tepper... But still, he decided to go on a vacation. And look, that's part of who he is. You know, he's got balance. He cares about his family. Maybe wanted to mull over the decision. And there's nothing wrong with that because much like we saw at the Colts and Frank Reich, or even Doug Peterson and the Eagles, sometimes your first choice doesn't mean it's necessarily the best choice for you. Sometimes it works out better with someone else. Yeah, that's fair. All
0: right, what about the the the, the hiring season? Szn, of course, as all the kids say, um, as a whole. Are you, because, you know, last year we sort of saw, I mean, there have, there have only been five hires so far, right? Or no, have there have been four hires? How many hires has there been? I can't even, Five firings, four hirings. Right, still, so okay, Cleveland still Cleveland. That's right. Yeah. Um Two retreads in terms of uh, Ron Rivera and Mike McCarthy hired, one stable college guy in terms of Matt Rule, and uh, then, of course, uh, uh, Joe Judge, who... I mean, look, again, a very different, I don't want to call him like a, I mean, he's a first time coordinator hire, but it doesn't feel like the, you know, like, all right, here's the best offensive coordinator of the year. Whereas like last year, it was such a clear, uh, a, like aggressive approach on offensive minded coaches, whether it was like Freddie Kitchens, Adam Gase, Bruce Arians, um, Cliff Kingsbury came from college, you know, Gase and Arians were, were retreads, but then you had Kitchens, Vic Fangio was defensive, Matt LaFleur. Um, You know, Zach Taylor, uh, Brian Flores. I mean, like the like, mo- I mean, not all those guys are offensive, but like a lot of young offensive minds or a lot of offensive minds in general. Do you see a trend here where it's like feels like after some people felt burnt by one year hirings that they're being trying to go a little more stable here?
1: Uh, I think what we saw from the Miami Dolphins and Brian Flores maybe played a bit of a factor on what you're seeing organizations do now where they just looked for, hey, who's the best candidate? Like, who's the best leader of men? Who's the best guy to be the the head coach of our football team? Let's not just make this about the quarterback position because as you see with Freddie Kitchens, for example, you know, continuity only goes so far with the offense and the play caller and, and keeping him and Baker Mayfield on the same page. It really didn't benefit that team at all because they had other areas that they really needed to address and they didn't. Because they, they were so focused on keeping that relationship with Freddie and Baker. And it ended up being to some degree the demise of their season because Baker didn't have a good season. The O line needed, you know, more attention, more love. The wide receivers never really got on the same page with Baker and the defense wasn't the way it needed to be. And obviously without its best player, uh, for a certain portion of the season because he was taking other players' helmets and beating them in the head with it. So, um, cool. that, that to me was like a glowing example of, Probably should be careful about putting too much weight or all your eggs in that basket, worrying about like the development of the quarterback. I mean, look at Sean McVay in this past year, when they were like, ah, maybe this offense isn't that great if they don't have Todd Gurley working the way he needs to, or the wide receivers are hurt, then all of a sudden Jared Goff's not playing that well. Like maybe it's about more than just this position. So I think you looked at an organization like Washington, an organization like Dallas that said, we want a good leader, a guy who's got a, a built-in track record, he's got experience. We don't want to have to go through growing pains. We feel like we've got some pieces in place to build from now and not have to kind of worry about a what-if. And then I think you see other organizations that uh base it off of, you know, who they feel like is the best possible, you know, or potential candidate. And, and that also falls in line with the Dallas Cowboys and Mike McCarthy. He's got a Super Bowl. Um, under his belt, great win, you know, win percentage during his time in Green Bay. Uh, and and now that we've gotten like a a look at, by the way, Aaron Rodgers with Matt LaFleur's offense, I, I just keep going back to this. Like you look at the best five year span in Rodgers career. It's obviously with Mike McCarthy there. And so we can make whatever we want of, you know, them not winning more, but I think that's the move more with the team. And you might want to put more pressure on Ted Thompson for not doing more in free agency to supplement that team as opposed to purely sticking with the draft. Uh and maybe handcuffing them at times uh as far as playing a, f- a factor and them not winning more. But my point is this. I think there's been a little bit of an, uh, a correction to what we saw last year, and now teams are looking for who they feel like is the right guy and not just the right guy for a certain position.
2: Yeah, that's sort of what I was talking about earlier, and Brady mentioned leaders of men, and um that brings me to my favorite talking point when it comes to NFL things. Mike Tomlin and Sean McDermott, baby. William & Mary, two great leaders of men who aren't necessarily X's and O's guys. They're both defensive guys. But what they've been able to do, both in Pittsburgh and in Buffalo, is build a culture, have their players buy in. And I think that's more important, I think that's sort of what Brady was saying in part, than having just the X's and O's guys. And I will give you a perfect example. His name is quarterback's guru, Adam Gase. I don't think that's worked out for Adam Gase in New York. I don't think it worked out in Miami. And I don't know if he's head coaching material, even though he seems to be up 23 hours a day scheming up offensive game plans. Uh, another guy, and and Brady's actually talked about this before, is Pete Carroll, who I think is 68 years old now. But Brady's talked about how excited it was just to he, he made people seem about spring, uh, spring training, about training camp practices. And, and I feel like he still connects with those players, and they want to play for him. And, and on some level, that's more important uh, than calling the right play at the right moment.
0: I would agree with that. Um, all right. Anything else on the coaches? If not, we will move on to important matters, other trends around the NFL, namely Taysom Hill. How much money is Taysom Hill getting free agency? This guy's an RFA or he actually probably won't even make it. I assume, I assume that <laughs> he's an RFA. Um, he's
1: not going to be a free agent. I know. I know. It's just, it just a joke.
0: I saw the best joke on Twitter was somebody's was like, if Sean Payton had two daughters, he would force them both to marry Taysom Hill because <laughs> that's how much.
1: I don't even want to get into the fact that he played at BYU either and like where that joke could go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, do you think this could be a copycat situation with Taysom Hill where more teams try and get like, like I I think, I can't remember where I heard this either, but the comp is like, um, the athlete in, uh, in the, in, in like in NCAA, the the video game where like you recruit somebody who's like an ATH. Like you're not a you're not a quarterback you're not a wide receiver you're an athlete and you could do that in college you don't ever see it you didn't ever see it in the pros but now there's a chance that this could it's got cat lead right this could happen
1: maybe it could happen i think it it takes one a play caller who feels confident in his ability to um put him in the in positions to execute and be successful and then also a quarterback that i mean you could sell that to it, it, this doesn't happen in new england okay and the funny thing is is like Josh McDaniels drafted Tim Tebow to kind of play that sort of role, right? Like short yardage, goal line, some wildcat, and it was before his time, but, but it was also like, it was a different type of athlete, right? Like, Tim couldn't run a 4-4 like Taysom Hill can. Taysom Hill ran a 4-4-40 at his pro day. Uh, Tim was like a 4-7 guy. Like, it's like an entirely different athlete as far as what you're gonna utilize him or how you're gonna utilize him. So, um, to some degree he was effective but like not like taysom has been and the way they've used him on special teams and as a receiver as a running back everything so you know could you try to you know mimic what they're doing of course but that's what Baltimore is doing with Lamar Jackson the problem is those talents are rare and as much as we want to look at taysom Hill and how effective it is it is in doses because he actually had a pretty bad injury history during his time at BYU a lot of his seasons ended in injury it was unfortunate he was a heck of a player. Um, uh, but since he's gotten in the NFL, he's, he's kind of found his niche and that's great. But it's just, it's not very often you find those guys and you find the situation where you can really do it. So, uh, was he the best part of their offense this past weekend? Yeah, of course. Like he actually, I thought, you know, gave me more confidence in them being able to move the football when he was in the game than when Drew Brees was back there. So I, I think Drew maybe understands to some degree where he's at in his career and Sean Payton and him have a trust where, you know, they know, who the quarterback or QB1 is. Taysom Hill's kind of that change-up. I just don't know how many scenarios that, you know, you really feel like you could do that with because if, if Taysom Hill goes in and your guy's not a solidified starter, like let's say this is Chicago, I mean, at some point you have people clamoring just for the guy to start in general over Trubisky if he's not, you know, uh, you know, warranting like being in there enough. So I think it could create a little bit of a distraction or some confusion there, even within the locker room to some degree, and that's obviously not the case with the Saints.
2: Uh, I have a comp for you, Brady, and um, tell me what you think. Uh, you're right. I just looked it up. You're exactly right. Taysom Hill ran a 4-4 at his pro day, 38.5 vertical inch, which is bonkers. Uh, when I watch him and I watch this other guy, I'm reminded of Taysom Hill a little bit. Jalen Hurts. I don't know how fast Jalen Hurts is going to run, but he can obviously throw. He can run around the pocket. And he can run like uh, – you know, he runs more like Leonard Fournette, I feel like, than, than Taysom Hill. But he is a diverse – sort of skill set he ain't a starting quarterback he's probably not a first or or second day pick and you take him in the in day three and take a flyer on him the situation as you sort of point out has to be right it has to be perhaps something where the quarterback is two or three years left in his in his deal he's um maybe he's in his late 30s early 40s those situations are rare obviously but a a change of pace quarterback who can do more than than just run uh quarterback sweeps left and right but can also obviously throw the ball and, and be a dynamic playmaker I think my
1: only concern with him is how big is he compared to Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill's a big dude. Uh, I want to say Jalen Hurts is probably 6'2", 225. And I would be willing to guess that Taysom Hill's maybe about as tall, a little taller, and probably 245, maybe closer to 250. Um, he's a pretty big boy. He's pretty thick. So he can take some of that wear and tear. And, and again, the difference is and something that we like don't pay attention to enough – is Jalen Hurts going to play wide receiver? Is Jalen Hurts going to play on special teams and be willing to do that? You know, a guy who's been incredibly successful during his college career as aspirations of being a quarterback. That's why he went to Oklahoma is to prove people that he can be. Uh, so if that's the case, is he going to be willing to sell out and then play all those roles and be kind of this ATH for an NFL team and taking up basically multiple positions with one roster spot, which is incredibly invaluable. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that he's going to be willing to do all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it takes a hit to your pride and your ego, um, to kind of check that at the door and be willing to kind of sell out really for your team. And it's not like, again, there's a high price tag that comes along with that. All right. I like it. Great draft discussion. You know
0: what we're going to have after the break? More great draft discussion. Tua Pungvailoa. He's gone. He gone. He out. I like saying his name correctly. It makes me feel a great sense of pride in my work um and ryan wilson has a mock draft we will talk to that we'll talk about that as well coming up after the break the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of new balance clutch athletics and rich paul the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community
3: Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. Welcome back. Brady Quinn football show. I
0: don't know why I did that for
3: the break. I liked it though.
0: Tua Kungvaloa. Every time I feel good about myself, it's unbelievable. Um, I can't wait to – Ryan, can you spell Tua's last name right now?
2: T-A-G-O-L-A-I-V-A. Is that right? I think that's right. There you go. Judges? Yeah, look at that. All right.
0: Oh, I missed the last uh, Sorry, Ryan. It's a good job. That was close. It was close. Uh, So, Tua declared – the, I saw, um, I think it was Peter Burns of ESPN who, and I like Peter. He's a good dude, but he works for the SEC network. So he's like inherently just very, very deeply biased with the SEC. And I, I mean, come on. You can read the tweets. Like it's you know, you're paid by the SEC network, whatever. Um, he was pointing out that Tua could have made the smart financial decision to return to school. Um, that would have been
1: insane. Like this is the move, Brady. This was the obvious move, right? Yeah, I think it was the obvious move. There, there's also the move where you could have just not gone back and played and just sat out and trained and rehabbed and then gone into the 2021 draft. Like I honestly feel like his film was good enough over the course of his career that he really didn't even need to go back to Alabama uh, to prove, or I guess if the reason why you're going back to Alabama was to prove that you can make it through a season healthy, it's, it's not like you're going to get rid of your injury history before that. You're only going to put yourself more at risk. And it's not like you need the additional tape. Like, his tape is phenomenal. You know, he's arguably still looked at as as maybe, you know, that that 1B quarterback to Joe Burrow based on his tape this year. I actually think you could make this statement and it'd be accurate. Tuatanga vailoa has been more consistently playing at a high level throughout his career at Bama in comparison to Joe Burrow. Like, your biggest question about Joe Burrow is what he did last year compared to this year. You know, you watched – you know, to, talking about Loa this year, and I think some of the off games you saw from him, it was more of a product of the fact he's playing banged up. But you know, playing on a, on a surgically repaired ankle sooner than he should have been because he's a warrior. He's awesome, and, but but also you know at times he, it dealt with a wrist injury in his career, had another ankle injury in his career, and obviously hurt the hip that ultimately ended his career at Alabama. But um he's he's got all the tools and intangibles, man. The quick release. Uh, the ability to throw at every single level, the type of football you need to, he anticipates extremely well, and he works through his progressions and moves well within the pocket. So he, he really, to me, looks kind of similar to like throwing motion, a left-handed Phillip Rivers, but it's prettier because he's a lefty. But the way mm. he moves within the pocket, uh, more of a, a Russell Wilson in that sense, as far as his size and stature is not quite as thick. So, uh, Ryan's got him drafted at, at the number five spot to the Miami Dolphins. It makes a lot of sense in my mind. And, and what, what a season, by the way, to be able to, not be the worst overall team, and still get the prospect you're hoping for, if he can heal and recover and be back to the
2: the two that we would expect. So, Brenton, I'll put this to you, and then Brady can obviously answer as well. Is there any conversation if you were, um the uh, the Washington Redskins yes. where you're inter- you would trade out of that pick?
0: Yeah. Oh, hell yeah, I would. Um, I think that there's. So I, this is shaping up to be a really, really fascinating draft to me because there is, I, I think Joe Burrow, things can change between the end of the regular season and January 6th and uh, you know April 23rd, which is, by the way, my wife's birthday. Be in Vegas. See you, honey. Um, as you see, FanDuel has Joe Burrow uh, minus 1150. Those are enormous odds to go number one. That is, uh, that is the equivalent of the Patriots. Be, that's like the equivalent of. Patriots preseason AFC East odds uh, before we found out that the Patriots are trash. Um so I I like I think Burrow will be one and if I'm the Redskins, if I can get some kind of RG3 light type of package the way they gave up to to move out of that spot, so someone can go up, come up and get to it, number 2, I'm absolutely doing that. Same thing goes for the the, the Lions, who I think at least will be in a discussion to potentially even take Tua at number three. I love Matthew Stafford. I'm not dogging on Stafford. I think he played great last year before he got hurt. Um, He has a huge contract, so maybe it's not a viable situation. But maybe you draft Tua and maybe you extend your livelihood as a coach if you're Matt Patricia or a GM if you're Bob Quinn. Um, Or maybe you trade out of that spot and try and pick up a bunch of picks. I think both those teams are well-situated to trade out. And, Brady, I don't know how you feel, but I absolutely think they should consider it if the package is
1: good enough to move down. Yeah, no, it's all going to be about the the package of picks. You know, if it's warranted based on you know the the skill that they use for all that, and probably um, getting a little bit more in 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 return for the compensation True. of those First picks. Time. Yeah, I mean, it would depend again. I'd have to look at the scale and then and, and see which most teams work off the same scale now. So that's why we see a lot more trades in the draft as it is. I'll Wait, say
3: hold on.
0: A, Just a, sorry, can I follow up on that? Yeah, do go you ahead. think that
1: what? Do you think it's a custom
0: scale that new team, they're not working off the Jimmy Johnson trade chart anymore, right?
1: No, they, they, to some degree they do, but like they all pretty much have their own like interpretation and valuation of it, but it's pretty close. And that's why when, again, when you see so much action, so many trades, like that Jimmy Johnson scale really paved the way for every organization to have some sort of scale to base it off of. And then what they came to realize was, well, if all our scales are incredibly off as far as how we value it, we're never going to be able to have much movement of some of these picks. And I think a lot of you know coaches had some discussions about it, and they've come to somewhat of a similar agreement to really it being probably closer than more, most people realize to Jimmy Johnson's scale in the first place. So um, that, that's kind of how they view it now. But it's going to be about that compensation. Detroit's the interesting one. I'll say this about Patricia and Bob Quinn. Drafting a rookie quarterback is not going to help you save your job. You know, we saw, for example, with Mitchell Trubisky going to Chicago. Fox then played him. They, they really kind of, you know, allowed him to just inch his way in there slowly uh, with Dow Loggins as the OC that year. And it didn't save their job in the end anyway. And there's other examples of that as well. Um, we kind of saw that with Steve Wilkes in Arizona last year with Josh Rosen. He still got fired. Um, you could make some other cases too. Um, you know, so it, it, that's not a winning strategy. I think if you feel like Matt Stafford's back isn't going to be able to hold up. And you you want to move on from their contract and all that, then it might make some sense. But otherwise, I think you know you trade back if you can with someone. Maybe it is the Dolphins at five, just so they ensure they get them at him, him at three because they have that draft capital to do so.
0: Hmm. Where uh, I, I was going to ask, I was going to ask you. I was going to throw out a your response to that, but B also like, do you see other like what's the furthest you see? What's the floor for Tua right now? If you're you're doing your mock drafts. You know, you try to have some construct of where, how far you would drop him. What's your floor, Ryan, for where you would drop him?
2: Uh, yeah, I've I actually thought about that a lot because, <laughs> because that's all I do. You know, it's not uh, in there. <laughs> uh, he's, we don't know how healthy he's going to be, and we're not going to know. I don't think he can throw for another month and a half, two months maybe. And we saw him at the bowl game last week against Michigan. He still had one crutch limping around the sidelines. So there is a long way to go. But if we assume that he's going to be healthy, let's say he's 75% in August and he's going to be 95, 99% a year from now and he'll be ready to play in 2021. Then yeah, I think if I'm the Dolphins, I take him at five. But let's say there's some uncertainty. He could slip to six where your guy, the Chargers pick. He could slip to seven where your guys, the Panthers pick. And I could see him potentially, and this is something that I'm interested in. Let's say he gets a 10 or 12 or 15. What if all Billy Belichick at number 23 there starts making some moves? We know he's tight with with, uh, Nick Saban. We know he likes to draft Alabama players and he hires Alabama coaches. What if he made a move for Tua with the understanding that he'll play in in 2021 and you don't have to rush him out there and you can, you know, be guaranteed that it's going to be 80% of what he was? I wonder if that's something to think about because I think there was a report that he loved Baker Mayfield. Um, I don't know how serious it was in terms of trading up for him. He went first overall. But if someone like Tua slips, I wonder if that would cross Bill Belichick's mind in terms of a, a plan B after life after Brady. Brady,
1: it's interesting. Um <clears throat> The problem with with you know Bill obviously is going to be the one making the decision in the draft. But in regards to what's sitting there at their quarterback position, I think it comes down to Robert Kraft and Tom Brady. If Tom Brady wants to be there, Robert Kraft is is going to do whatever it takes to to keep him there. I think because uh, we've already seen that battle before, right? You know, Jimmy Garoppolo ended up getting traded for a second round pick. Uh, Tom Brady won over Bill Belichick in that whole battle. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I think if Tua does slide, like, I don't think he slides out of the first round. Uh, I think because of the injury, uh, teams would maybe want that fifth year option to not have to rush him in at all. Maybe he gets a redshirt year, his rookie year, and then doesn't play till the second year. Um, and, and so they, they have the ability to keep him for that additional year for that reason. It's really going to come down to you know if a team has multiple picks and they're drafting in that spot with the draft capital to do so to trade back up to get them, Uh, but also just their medical evaluation. I mean, it's so hard to predict, you know, what their evaluation is going to be of this injury. One thing we know for sure is it will be degenerative to some degree. We don't know how what that means, how long he'll be able to play before you know gives him issues, Uh, but I think it's fair to say that. And then it's, it's fair to say, like, if, if, you're a team that wants to be competitive right now and then want to draft him in the first round and play him right away, he's just not that guy. He's, he's not going to be that guy that is going to be able to be ready when they, they need him for OTAs and mini camp and be hundred percent. You know, so you got to have a, a quarterback in place to really start the season. And then maybe at some point as he's coming along, you want to get him in there, get him some reps, get him some playing time. So, um, it's, I, I can't see him falling out of the first round. So I, I'm going to say, you know, his floor is 32. Uh, I really – I realistically think he'll go somewhere in the top ten.
2: Here's the thing, Brady, and I agree with you about the first round, but I I talked to someone close to the program yesterday, and they said one of the issues with Tua leaving is they couldn't sort out the insurance policies that they were going to try to get him if he decided to come back. I know you're frowning. But here's the thing, whether that's true or not, the reality is if the medicals come back and and they're crap, he ain't going in the first round. I mean there's a real – there's a realistic chance he falls out of the first round if they come back and say, this is really degenerative, this is an issue starting not 10 or 12 years from now, but starting two or three years from now. And it, there, I got the sense that he was, wasn't necessarily hundred percent certain he wanted to leave. Um, but obviously he, he sold that and maybe he feels that way now, but I, I do wonder because some of those LM players came back and, and it was some, some surprising, some less so. Um, so I do wonder where the medical is going to come in. If they come in not great and then we'll be questioning well why did he come out
1: well i think that's part of the research he did over that period of time it wasn't just about the insurance policies right um it was also about you know him trying to figure out like if he's going to make this take this risk um, Is there going to be a suitor there for him? Now, it's not easy, like, for example, you know, different situation, but kind of similar, right? So Kyler Murray gets drafted, what, number five or four overall last year in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft. So he had, like, the ability to basically just go play another professional sport. And then he's trying to figure out, okay, like, should I even, you know, go into the NFL draft uh because I've got this other great opportunity out there? And the difference is obviously it's this isn't a health issue, but it was like more of, all right, what were some of those factors that played into his decision? I don't know, maybe the fact that Cliff Kingsbury knew him. I mean he became the next head coach for the Cardinals, who had the number one overall pick. And so I'm sure he was reassuring him, like, No, 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 no. Go play football. I promise you, like, you know, it's gonna work out. Like you're you're gonna be in the first overall pick. Uh that's why they hired me. So it's a little different in that case. Like there's not as many reassurances for Tua tonga Loa taking this step. Uh, one thing I would just say in in regards to like the whole insurance policy and then even sorting that out, uh, because you now have an injury and and you're right that there probably wasn't going to be someone who was going to underwrite it for any sort of significant amount, whether it's loss of value or uh, just in general if you were never able to play again. Uh, I had both of those policies coming back my senior year, and and so I really never had any bad injuries at that point in time in my career. So those policies, though expensive, and you pay out of pocket for them. Um, had I you know, dropped because of an injury, I would have been paid. Different story if Tua hurts that hip again, you're right. However, again, why would you even want to go back to school again and risk that? Or adding another injury to that list? Because that's something that you just you're going to have to get over regardless. If you draft him, you're getting over the ankle surgeries. You're getting over the hip injury, and you're saying, like, we see him on the other side of this working his way out, much like the Dallas Cowboys did with Jalen Smith. Now, granted, that's an example of him dropping into the second round, um, but 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 that's just how this game works. I I think you're going to get varying medical opinions. You're going to get people who feel comfortable with them and people who don't and he's not on their board. You just have to hope that that team that feels comfortable with them is obviously going to draft the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, imagine
0: going back to school and tearing your ACL. Like you're you're off 60% of boards for NFL teams if you suffer another injury, like you go back and you suffer another major injury. Is it like I thought the injury this year was kind of
1: fluky, wasn't it? Am I... It was fluky, and even more so than that, he was already playing on a surgically repaired ankle yeah. that he really didn't need ankle surgery for. It's just a procedure that they've done a lot there in Tuscaloosa, and they wanted, and they wanted to rush him back to get him back sooner than later. So instead of waiting four to six, you know, you try to come back in, in three weeks, which is kind of rushing it after a surgical procedure, right?
0: Yeah, and um, they wanted him ready for that LSU game, turns out. Whoops.
1: He so looked two, he, he, he a... looked he looked worse and worse in that game the longer he played like it was bothering him. So there's no doubt, you know, that that probably played a factor in, in just him not even being able to scramble far enough away to get away from the rush.
0: Yeah. Um he got hurt after the LSU game there, right?
1: No, he got hurt um in oh, the yeah. LSU game.
2: The hip was,
1: was the week next. That's right. Was it the next week?
0: Yeah. So, like, the, yeah, yeah. And yeah, cuz yeah, like, so I the they, next
1: why right, cuz he didn't need to play the next week. That's right right yeah
0: when he was in there in the third quarter of a blowout and like say Sabin was ready to pull him but two uh two weeks after second quarter
2: yeah
0: i mean i remember i was watching in my living room and like you saw it and you're like oh my god that's really yeah, bad worst
1: possible thing that could have happened did happen
0: yeah yeah and it looked like he like lost it broken his nose and like lost a bunch of teeth there's blood everywhere and he could lay on the ground but i mean yeah it's a it's just unfortunate for the young man i like i there's a no-brainer. You go to, you go, to, you go to pro. How does this affect the rest of the first round? We'll get out of here on this. What does this mean for Justin Herbert, for Jordan Love? Um, there's some crazy Oregon fan who watched this video, watched <clears throat> last, uh, two, three weeks ago, and, um, He's like, I'll bet you and Wilson, and, like, tagged us. He's like, me and -and so-and-so will bet you any amount of money you want to put up. You pick the number that Justin Herbert goes in the first round. And Wilson's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this guy accused Wilson of backtracking. I was like, let's just bet him a dollar. Like, (laughs) like who cares if we win or lose? Like, F you, we'll bet you a dollar, bro. What do you want? Put it up.
1: I mean, he's going to go in the first round. I think, actually, yeah, Ryan and I have talked about that all along. Now, like, Uh Ryan's put out mock drafts where he hasn't, but – you know, we we've talked about that. Like we both have said like he'll go in the first round at least. I I definitely think he will. I think he'll go top 20. Uh I would yep. have a hard time seeing him get outside the top 20. Um the the one that Ryan's got in this mock draft now that I don't think will go will be Jordan Love. And there's no doubt that if you're in the quarterback market and Tua wasn't coming into this draft, Herbert would probably go even higher. Like if you're the Miami Dolphins you really are taking a long hard look at Justin Herbert and if you pass him up the first time maybe he's there for you the second time around so um when you look at this draft class you look at all these guys you know Jake Fromm is let yet you know yet to declare i don't know that going back to school really helps him make a case more so other than maybe it's it's a less competitive year of guys that he's stacked up against uh, i think it'll go Burrow, Loa, Justin Herbert, Easton and Love i think will be somewhere in the second round uh, and then you're looking at potentially a Jalen Hurts somewhere in the you know third, fourth, fifth, depending on how a team looks at him, how they're planning on using him. So it, it'll be interesting to see.
2: Hey, Brady, one thing you can't see on this mock draft, and I want to point it to your attention since you spent the last two hours dunking on me at various points. Number 23, the New England Patriots are taking your boy, Cole Komet. I did notice that. I wanted to talk about it.
1: <clears throat> you know, he talked about having a second-round grade when he submitted his name in, because he still has an additional year of eligibility, and there was some thought that maybe he'd want to come back because Ian Books coming back, um, and, and and some of the other pieces, but you know he is, in my opinion, the best overall tight end in this draft. Um, he can block well. He's good catching the football across the middle. Uh, he's got a good feel for the soft spots and zone coverage, and you know he he's going to be a mismatch. He can split out wide, and, and he can still run and beat you a little bit. Uh, some people felt like at Notre Dame when talking to them, they really did feel like he was similar to Eifert uh, in as far as his pass catching ability and route running ability, uh, but, but not maybe as quite as fast, but then, uh, you know, kind of like Rudolph as far as his traditional Y blocking tight end, but it could still stretch the field vertically. So kind of a combination of those two somewhere in the middle. Uh, but just, you know, one of those Notre Dame, you know, tight ends again that we're going to see in the league. And could definitely find his way in the first round, uh, would make a lot of sense to the Patriots given what they missed out on. And you know how Tom Brady loves his tight ends. Uh, Komet would be a a heck of a, a heck of a prospect for them.
0: By the way, I know that like we're focused on the quarterbacks and I think the, this is a pretty good offensive line class. You know, you can sort of start to see the, the pieces come together. This is a loaded wide receiver class.
1: It's ridiculous.
0: I I mean, it is like, you watch like C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins, Jerry Judy. Uh, is it uh Al- Henry Ruggs, of course, and then the who, the
1: kid from Colorado, um, Levisca Chenault, Lavisca Chenault, Michael Pittman at USC. I mean, you could keep going. Like, there's Jalen Rager who uh Ryan had on his mock draft. I love that young man, Brendan Ayuk from Pete Prisco's alma mater, uh, ASU. Um, you're going to get uh, DeVernay, what's DeVernay, that,
2: DeVernay, Jefferson. I mean, those guys are two yeah. very similar players. Yeah, the, the kid from Notre Dame, Chase
1: Claypool, I think made himself a lot of money this year too with the way he played. So like, like you, you could keep going on down the line. There are going to be wide receivers that is, a, there's going to be absolute run on them in the second, third round. I just don't know how many you're going to take in the first round because A, it's hard to evaluate these guys, how they're going to, you know, mix in and pan out. And then B, it hasn't really worked out the past few years. And I think usually what you see is when there's scarcity at one position, the best players at that spot usually get taken maybe higher than they should. And, and then you end up getting the guys who are that really talented deep class. The volume of that group ends up getting taken in the second, third round where then end it ends up being like a run on wide receivers and safeties like we saw last year.
0: Yeah. We're like, although I mean, I, I don't disagree with you on the economics and the value of it. And by the way, Debo wants us to point out that KJ Hamler also eligible for the draft. Um, yeah, Penn State.
1: we are, Penn State. um, <laughs> Well, Ohio State kids. I mean, KJ Hill is going to be a ridiculous yeah. slot, not not a first round, but second or third round somewhere in that ballpark. But does I, I feel like, and it's
0: this is harder to say with the hindsight of seeing how AJ Brown played, um, you know how DK Metcalf played, uh, but it does feel like the top end talent in this particular class is maybe a little bit more. It's not like A.J. Green and Julio Jones or anything, but like Jerry Judy and T. Higgins and C. D. Lamb. I mean, like one of those guys could a couple of like two of those guys could creep into the top ten if needs arise, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know how fast T. Higgins is. And one of the things is we're breaking down the national championship game and looking at um, you know, for example, what they do at Clemson compared to what they do at L S U. Not a lot of versatility there from him. You know, really if you look at Justin Ross and T. Higgins, both those guys primarily, and when I say primarily, I'm saying about let's say 70 to 80% of the time are basically outside and they're isolated. And they try to work to them either deep downfield or isolate them on that side of the field in one-on-one matchup. Um in comparison to like, for example, LSU receiver, like a guy like Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson plays a lot in the slot. He will play outside every once in a while, but then he'll also play deep inside of the number three receiver spot, almost like a tight end. And so there's a little bit more vers- versatility within there, within what he can do and what he can run and what he's done so far. So um it, it, these guys are going to be so hard to differentiate between, you know, it is going to come down to like their performance at the combine, like how fast they run, what their measurables are and all that probably to help some of these organizations and these front offices make decisions between, you know, guy a or guy B just because it's such a talented loaded class. Uh, But I think Ryan's got CD lamb taking the highest. Like That's the guy to me that stood out all year. Like, I don't know if he'll be AJ green or Julio Jones um because he's not quite as big but man watching his just start stop ability his overall explosiveness the way they can move him around he can run and his hands and footwork that young man's got it all yeah i agree um you know what the next time we do a uh,
0: bqfbs or whatever we call this thing pcp bqfbs uh will be january 14th so i would be remiss if i didn't ask you guys what do you? How many points do you think Clemson will beat LSU by? Uh, let's see, negative uh, six. Ooh, that, that, that would be right on the spread. The spread is LSU minus six over under sixty nine. What, uh, what? I'm taking think?
1: the over on that, and then I'll take. Uh, I'll go ahead and lay the points with LSU. Wow, okay. I saw a five and a half today. By the way,
0: it's bounced around from five to. It's never gotten up to seven. At five
1: and a half, I feel comfortable taking LSU. If it gets higher than that, like if we start getting into the like seven and a half, definitely not. Um, I don't even know if I feel comfortable with six and a half. Like, I, I just something tells me it's going to be somewhere around that. Like,
2: I don't know. I think, well, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. I like LSU. I mean, this is not even is this the best team they faced all year? Maybe, but I mean, they've dominated every single team they played, they play in the SEC. I feel like Joe Burrow is legit. And Pete and Brady were talking about this on the on the HQ show. What if Joe Burrow lays an egg? I don't think no one he could go out there and throw ten interceptions. I don't think anyone would care. But I don't expect him to do that. I think he's he's gonna have a really good game as he's always done. And I feel I think they cover.
1: If, uh, if, interesting stat real quick, if you just want to look at the two quarterbacks, right? Um so one thing Clemson does a decent amount of is bring pressure. Uh Joe Burrow this year, and this is off the top of my head. He's throwing nineteen touchdowns. I want to say to like one or two interceptions and he's completing seventy four percent of his passes versus pressure just absolutely ridiculous so if they if Brent Venable's tries to bring pressure uh Joe Burrow's gonna know what to do with the football and then on the flip side of that Trevor Lawrence versus man to man. Uh, completing a little bit above 50% of his passes this year versus man-to-man. Uh, and then really, if you go back to the Ohio State game, because they play as much man-to-man as anyone in the country, he was 3-for-11, took two sacks, only completed 27% of his passes. So one of the reasons Until, why you saw him running the football more.
0: Uh, who who's the guy who got tossed? Uh, Sean Wade. Right. Yeah. Yeah, But, but,
1: but the reason why that's important is because LSU plays the, the third most. So Ohio State plays the second most man to man. LSU plays the third most in the country.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I'm not, I mean, like I've, I've, I've not, I've heard people say that and mention it. And that is certainly a concern. I do like the fact that Davos Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence had multiple weeks to repair. I do like the fact that they're considered underdogs in this. Um, I do think I look, I, I think most people are going to pick LSU to win, right?
1: I mean, they're, the favorite. they're the favorite. Yeah. I mean I'm sure Dabo's playing off that too and all you other, you know, Carolina, you know, homers, you know, there.
0: I'm not I'm not a Clemson honk or anything.
1: Um I will say that I know uh Darren Ravel,
0: he of Bengals jersey fame, uh, said reported on Tuesday, I think that somebody put a two hundred thousand dollar bet, two 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 hundred thousand dollar bet or a hundred thousand and then
1: 90000 a hundred thousand on L S U minus five and a half and ninety thousand on L S U minus six, so by the way, uh, do you know the Bengals can already start negotiating with Joe Burrow on that first overall contract? I mean, basically once his eligibility is done, he can start doing that. Pete, by the way, is making a face at me through this window here at CBS Sports HQ. He's, he's quite the character, this guy.
0: Why don't you tell him to, um, why don't you tell him to come in? Wave him in.
1: I'm, I'm trying to get him to. Let's see if he comes in. Yeah. He'll come in. Here. i the podcast. Come on. I'm not yeah, get on here. Come on here, here,
3: here. No, I'm
1: not Just say hey, P. Just say. Willie boy, quit taking cracks, making cracks about my zero and four week. Okay, <laughs> I was awful. I admit it. I went zero and four too. He went zero and you know four too. He said. Oh, okay. and I went and went 4 we back. haven't mentioned it once. We're both losers. Well, yeah. Well, but you at least admit to it. Will doesn't ever admit to it. Wow, he's really hammering himself right now. Some dude, some some guy tweeted us. Wait, hold on, Will, hold on. Will, were you 0-4 versus the spread and straight up? Because that's what people... (laughs)
0: 1-3 against the spread, 0-4 straight up.
1: 1-3 against the spread, 0-4. Yeah, he said you had a bad week too, but he was even worse. He lost it all. He lost everything. Every single bet he plays against the spread straight up, he lost them all.
0: Well, there's some guy who tweeted at us and was like, I'm like, he's like, I'm taking the fade Brinson approach. He did a $50 money line parlay of fading my straight up picks. So he took... 50 bucks on the Vikings, the Titans. Ty- Brinson sucks. 50 bucks the Vikings, the, um, the Titans, the Seahawks, and, uh, who, who, uh, and the Texans. And he won 1800 bucks on a $50 parlay fading my money line. Thanks. I won the title in the league. Hey,
1: Brinson yeah. sucks. Wilson said it the best.
0: You heard it. I suck. Let's get out of here. Speak. My wife's going to say Brinson sucks. The same thing. Yeah, See you guys next week.